This season on Radio Rental, we've heard some bizarre and frightening true stories. And to close it out, I'm going to take you behind the scenes a bit, playing for you some raw clips of my interviews with these people, with a little commentary along the way. We'll call this Radio Rental Rewind. recap for a moment. It's the photos that were blurry, especially while traveling. I, I don't know, maybe maybe I read it wrong, but I would think that if it was someone who was just trying to spook me, that they would get clear images all the way. But it actually seemed like this was somebody traveling, taking photos opportunistically as they could as they passed by these signs. New Mexico, the land of enchantment. That was the one that, I thought, man, they're they were really heading this way. It really seemed like that they were on their way towards me at that point. That was distressing. New Mexico was my back door at that point. This is a slow, inexorable movement that I can't do anything about. Something is coming and I can't do anything about it. I just have no idea how to respond, what to do. It was so foreign that it was a profoundly distressing moment. It was that shift from sending photos back and forth once a week, once every few weeks, like it, there was no, never any urgency to it, and then it shifted to this person's actively traveling, they're actively heading my way. New Mexico, then Arizona, my home state, and then I was really curious what was going to happen next. About seven, eight hours later, there was my city limit sign. They were, they were there, presumably in my neighborhood. It was the same sign. I didn't reply anymore. I was done, I was out. That journey across the states and then into my hometown with no words at all, that finally got me. I was cooked, I was done. Stick a fork in me. My name is Welby, and this is my radio rental story. People are distressing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You ever watch the IT crowd? There's a, a great line that Roy says, people, what a bunch of bastards. <laughs> Every once in a while that comes to mind, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We traveled to Phoenix, Arizona to meet with Welby. And like a lot of these stories, I found this on the internet. This story in particular, I found in a post on Reddit. To me, it was extremely frightening, and I really wanted to include it in the series. So I tried to track him down for an interview, but all I had was his Reddit username. No email address, no social media profiles, nothing. But I sent a message anyways, and weeks went by with no response, and I was convinced he probably hadn't seen it. Then I discovered that I was traveling to Phoenix for a different story, so I gave my best shot at trying to make real contact with him, and it worked. It's probably the most roundabout way I've ever found anyone on the internet ever. My producer Mike and I couldn't believe we actually found him, and we couldn't keep our mouth shut when we met him. So after the interview, we told him. 
I was so proud of it. You gotta tell me, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I tried to reverse search your images, but I couldn't pull them up anywhere else. <laughs> okay, so here's how I found him. All I had was his Reddit username. So I went through his other posts on Reddit, searching for clues as to who this person was. All I found was that he was in some photography group in Phoenix, and that he was fond of this one particular photographer on Instagram who was lesser known, and he loved their black and white photos. Okay, interesting, but that doesn't help me. A Google search of his username brought up an Imgur photo account with black and white photography on it. Okay, getting closer, I think. And sure enough, there's black and white photos of Arizona. Okay, so it's the same guy, but now what? Reverse image search. Nothing. Nothing anywhere, just nothing. But then I remembered that photographer he liked on Instagram. So I went to their Instagram page. 500 followers. Okay, maybe. But that's a lot of people to go through. So I checked the date of the Reddit post, July 2018. Then I scrolled back through the photographer's Instagram page all the way back to July 2018. Then I found a black and white photo. He said he liked these. There's 30 likes. He has to be one of them. So I'm clicking random people, then all of a sudden, boom. A profile with the same photos I saw on the Imgur photo account. It's him. It has to be him. Wow, you did go the long way around. Yes. That's beautiful. I was <laughs> so proud of myself. You should. That's, that's some pretty good detective work. <laughs> okay, so now that I got that out of the way. Have you ever seen the uh, website postsecret.com? Throughout my interview with Welby, while running through the possibilities of who this stranger might be, he had another anecdote that I found pretty interesting. It's an interesting site where people will send in postcards to a fellow named Frank, and they are confessional, where someone will say that they used to steal from their employer and never got caught. This is their moment of confessing online in a, in a non-religious but a very cathartic sense. And... I used to follow it faithfully. It was it was part voyeurism, but also a study of the human mind. It, it was really fascinating. About a year after that event, I saw a post secret that made me wonder if it was this person. But it was something about traveling several states to somebody's hometown and then just turning right back around. Hand-drawn postcard. It, it gave me pause, and I think that was about the time I stopped following PostSecret. Still a very good website. Uh, highly recommend it. Another story that I found to be completely fascinating was Doppelganger. Here's a quick recap. The girl who was there first who was angry at me was my girlfriend, and the one who hugged me from behind was also my girlfriend. Like, it, they were both the same person. I don't know how they were in those two places at the same time. I don't know why they were in different emotional states, but it was the same person. <laughs> For this story, I traveled to Los Angeles. I knew from the beginning that people would likely challenge the validity of his story. And if I was going to tell it, I too would have to ask some harder questions. But this guy was just so sincere, open and candid about everything. Here's some interesting moments from our conversation that didn't make it into the final episode. It was hours and hours and hours of feeling like significantly off, like just really out of place and really confused. Walk me through all of the hard evidence that there is, that there was another person that at least 
very closely resembled your girlfriend? Um, I think the only like hard evidence of what happened was the people who heard me like me and her yelling at each other, walking up the stairs from inside their apartments, but they didn't see anything. So that, you know, leaves a gap. And the only other real thing is the security camera footage, which like, again, we didn't get a copy of or anything like that. They just showed us on a computer in the office, like at the apartment building. And because I had been standing there in front of this girl, like two feet away from her, looking her in the face, I know exactly who it was. But there was no one else there to see that. So it's always just kind of let the gap. Like there's there's never been enough for it to be like, yeah, no, this for sure happened. And like, I think if there was, that it would have been a very different experience, you know? Like, I think if it had shown up a security camera footage, like, yeah, this is her. Like if it had had like a, like a fucking portrait shot of her face, you know, then I think it would have gone very differently. I think it would have been like a much kind of scarier experience, I guess. But it just left it scary for me because everyone else like, just didn't believe me, you know? We went to security after we called the police. So we called 911 upstairs after I like finally told her what happened and we like talked about it for a few minutes. It was probably like an hour after the original incident happened that we actually called the police. And as soon as we did, she was like, we should go talk to the security guy to get downstairs and see if he saw anything. And he hadn't been at the desk at the time, but he was like, oh, we can look at the footage when the police get here. So we did with them, like we were looking over his shoulder while he showed us on the computer screen. What was your girlfriend's reaction to the footage? Terrified. Terrified. She didn't recognize the clothes. Um, that was one of the things that she was worried about. She thought maybe someone was like trying to impersonate her or something, but we were never able to figure out what would have been a motivation for that. There's not really a reason to, you know, like she was a college student at the time. She's not like anyone famous or important, but she didn't recognize any of the clothes the girl was wearing. She was terrified, like really scared. So walk me through it. If you're like, from where the guy, the security guy pressed play on the footage, what do you see on the screen? So there's only two like uh, cameras that caught anything. One was a stairwell camera that kind of faces from the end of a hall down towards where my door is at the far end of the hall. So you can see us come out of the stairs and go into the door. Um, and you can see her unlock the door, but it's far enough away that you can't really like tell who it is. Um, and the other one's from the front door and faces the actual door. So it catches our backs when we go in, but it showed her like type in the code on the door and then walk through the door. So those are the only two real frames you got of like her being in the building. And, and then on the way out, same thing, but like not really a clear shots, but it looked like significantly like her still. Like they were clear enough that it was like, oh, that could very easily be you. So when you're watching the security footage there, what are you guys saying out loud to each other? Nothing. It was like really quiet and kind of weird. I don't think she thought that this had all really happened. I think she thought I was confused or something until she saw the security footage. And then we didn't really say anything to each other until we were alone again, like maybe an hour or two later. She stands by even to this day that she thinks that someone was like impersonating her. Like she thinks that someone was trying to steal something from her or something like that. So came in really fast to try and confuse me and took whatever they wanted and left, which I still think makes no sense. But yeah, I honestly don't. I don't. I, I've had like different theories, but every time I like try to put one together in my head, I just it just either sounds too silly to me or it's like too. It doesn't cover all the bases on everything that happened, you know, and the weirdest part for me was the taxi being gone. 
she got in the taxi, told me, fuck you, and then got in and drove off. And I kind of watched it go, and then my girlfriend hugged me from behind. And when I turned around, looked at her, and then looked back at the cab, I couldn't see the cab anymore. So I don't know if it took a turn really quickly or anything like that. That street, it would be pretty hard to hide a cab. It's like a residential street, pretty quiet. How much time ago, by? It felt like only a couple seconds, but it, I, I put it like max of 15 to 20, maybe. Honestly, there was like a probably two, three year gap after that where we didn't really talk about it. Like yeah, we didn't bring it up again. She didn't want to talk about it. It just freaked her out. So we stopped like conversing about it. And then it was either right before we broke up or right after we broke up. That's when I made the post on Reddit about it. Cause I was just, that was the first time I had ever really gotten to talk to anyone about it. And I wanted to like make sure I didn't, wasn't crazy, you know? Cause when you, when something like that happens and then you don't talk about it at all for like two or three years, it kind of just festers in your head a little bit. I, I'm 100% certain that that was the exact same person. Like the person that came into my apartment angry, wearing heels and pants and a blouse and a leather jacket, and the girl who came up in running clothes behind me and hugged me within seconds later, it was the same person. I'm convinced 100%. I, I've, I've never had a doubt in my mind. Everyone else, like because they weren't there to see it, that's the first place they started to place doubt is that it wasn't the same person. For me, I've never had a single moment's doubt that it was the exact same person. It, it, it just had to be. Like, I, I know her too well. We had been together for, like, years. I, it was. Were you ever suspicious of your girlfriend playing a trick on you? It crossed my mind, but she's um, she doesn't have that good of a sense of humor, and she's not that capable of being manipulative, to my experience. So I that definitely was something I had thought of, but I no, I don't think so. I really don't. And then, you know, as a result of being 100% convinced that it was the same person, any theories I try to put to that and how it's possible don't really make any sense. So, uh, This is Ian, and this is my radio rental story. Yeah, so my name is Ian. My name is Ian, and this is my radio rental story. Yep. All right. Uh, my name is Ian, and this is my radio rental story. Another very creepy story was called What Was She Planning? When a guy met a red-haired girl in the bar and decided to go home with her, things went downhill quickly. Here's a recap. It's like 10 years ago and I just turned 21. Me and my friend, we kind of went out one night, we were drinking. I kind of was like drinking way too much at the time and I was blacking out and just forgetting everything that I was doing. So I'm like, you know what, I'm not gonna drink. I'm kind of just gonna watch my boy all night, you know? We went to the bar. My friend's already smashed. He's already like drunk when we're getting to the bar. I took like a couple shots and you know, I'm trying not to drink too much. Hey, pretty quick, hey some girl comes up to us and she's a cute girl, pretty girl. She's like, oh, hi, my name's Candace. Nice to meet you. White girl, kind of greenish eyes, red hair, bright red hair. It was like unnatural, but it was like pretty. It was like, like Black Widow but a little brighter, kind of like a young Scarlett Johansson. It was very distinct. I was definitely into it, you know? So she comes up to us, introduces herself. She's like, hi, my name's Candace. How you guys doing? She kind of just like injected herself. We weren't really paying attention to her or anything. She just kind of like comes up, starts talking to us, start flirting with both of us. So I tell her my name. My friend says his name and she's like, Oh, you guys want to get some drinks? And I'm like, nah, not really, you know. I just thought she was trying to get some money from us or get free drinks and stuff. And she's like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll buy the drinks. 
Alright, well if you wanna buy some drinks, go ahead. <laughs> she starts buying us drinks and getting shots and getting beers. And I'm kinda giving them to my friend because I don't want to get too drunk. And she's barely drinking. I don't I don't even really remember seeing her drink. <laughs> my friend's smashed this time. He's drunk. He can barely stand. The bouncers see him drunk and they're like, you gotta leave. So we're both carrying my friend out. He's sitting on the wall, like with his back on the wall, like sleep, you know what I'm saying? So I'm about to take him back to his car and she's like, oh, I'll take him home, let me take him home. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not leaving him with you. She's not even paying attention to me, it's all about him. Like, oh, let's go to my house. And he's not talking to her, not even responding to her. I kind of like intervene and I'm like, no, he's too drunk, he's, he can't go anywhere. I'm gonna take him home, he's, he's messed up. And she's like, oh, why are you being like that? You're ruining a good time for him. Why would you do that? My name is Kenny, and this is my radio rental story. So if you were at a bar tomorrow night and a girl with bright red... I don't even go to bars anymore <laughs> like that. Really? I've probably been to the bar probably seven times my entire life. I just don't go to bars like that. Yeah, when I tell people the stories, like, you don't go to bars. I'm like, yeah, this is why. Like... <laughs> Like, I've went to bars more time back then than I did now. It was just a weird situation. I really don't know what was going on. If I was at a bar and I seen some girl with red hair, <laughs> though that same red hair, I would I don't know what I would do. I'd be like, this, this is, <laughs> I don't know. It was definitely something that like, I'm like, I'm not drinking no more. Like I guess I, I slowed down drinking a real lot. And at that point, I was drinking a lot. It definitely changed a lot of things I was doing. And then even now, I still don't go to bars like that. It's just, I don't think anything's going to happen to me, but it's just, I'm just real, I would say maybe I'm uncomfortable in like that whole, whole vibe it brings, you know? I mean, it made me just more paranoid. I mean, even before that, I was paranoid about everything. I wouldn't say paranoid because that's such a bad word. I was just like real cautious and just try to be real like witty, you know, and just, just try to be like real observant about everything. And that just made me more about it, like more observant and everything. So it was, it was a scary situation. I'm not gonna say it wasn't, I was scared. Thinking back, being in the room, if those couple seconds when I, I figured out it was the girl with the wig, I'm like, like I just felt like somebody was gonna stab me. Somebody's gonna run out of the room and stab me or something. I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, I gotta get out of here. Did it seem like it was like some twisted game or something? People, that's what I'm saying. I'm trying not to be like a, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it's like, everyone's like, oh, they were trying to take your organs. And I'm just like, well, how come they weren't a little more professional? Like, but I'm like, maybe they were professional. I don't know. And then I kept thinking like, I was like, why would they pick a guy like me? Like, I think they would have picked someone a little less like observant, a little less like street smart, you know? If there was like a selection of like a group of people to like get one over on, I feel like they would have picked someone else. Me talking to her the whole time, I kind of was like saying stuff to her to let her know like, like hey, we don't got any money. Everyone that tells me like, oh, they're probably just trying to rob you. I'm like, how? First of all, I didn't have any money on me and they were spending money. If they would have been like, take us to wherever your money is at, I would have just took them into a situation that would have benefited me. I remember back then looking up if there was disappearances. This happened in 2008. 
maybe 2008, 2009, around that time. And I remember looking up, like, did anyone disappear around then? But back then, I really didn't know how to use, like, even Google and stuff wasn't as, like, accessible as it is now. I feel like if you looked up, like, Boston missing men or missing men in Massachusetts, it wouldn't have really showed that many results. I listened to your uh, Up and Vanished podcast about Crystal, and I was, you were investigating it, so I'm like, so is he investigating, like, a murder? Because I'm like, is he investigating a disappearance? Did someone disappear? It was when I realized that that was you, when I looked at my message, and I'm like, oh, wait, this is the same guy. I'm like, wait a minute, he investigates crimes. What, what crime happened? When I reached out to him, he soon realized that he'd listened to one of my other podcasts called Up and Vanished, an investigative podcast. And he thought I was investigating a series of mysterious deaths or murders that he thinks may be linked to his weird encounter, something called the smiley face murders. Here's what he had to say. I just looked it up like two days ago, and all around the same time, there was tons of missing dudes. They went to a bar and they were missing. Like They went to a bar, left the bar, they were missing for a couple of days and their bodies were found. Some people are saying it's a serial killer killing these different guys. And, and this happened a lot of times around this area. A lot of those missing dudes, that wasn't all in Boston either, but everyone calls Massachusetts like and this area around it, Boston. Like if you look up missing men, Boston, a lot of them were around that same time the last place they were seen was a bar. Every story I was reading, like my heart was racing. Like, I was like, wait, this, that's just like what happened to me. Oh, he was the same age as me. And like, everything just was the same as what I went through. Hundreds of young men from all across the country, their deaths labeled as accidental drownings. These retired detectives say it's murder. Almost 300 young men across the country that have been drugged, abducted, held for a period of time, murdered on land, and deposited in the bodies of water to make it look like a drowning. We've been tracking these guys for 12 years now. Each of our victims fits such a narrowly defined specific set of demographics. Highly intelligent, athletic, from great families. In 2009, William Hurley's death was eerily similar. He was found in the Charles River in Boston. Nearby, a smiley face. Could these and the hundreds of others have fallen victim to a group these former detectives call the smiley face killers? And last but certainly not least, we have for you a little behind the scenes look of how the podcast soundtrack was made. All the music in Radio Rental is completely original, composed by our great friend, Makeup and Vanity Set. Meredith sat down with him. What were some of the musical influences that you and Payne went over before starting the Radio Rental soundtrack? The biggest influence on Radio Rental was just uh, the context of the stories and just sort of the, you know, believe it or not kind of aspect of what Payne was trying to do. Sometimes it was paranormal, sometimes it was like these incredible true stories. And so it was trying to capture the element of sort of the haunting aspect of that. Also just sort of the supernatural uh, creepiness of it. I remember spending a lot of time with Unsolved Mysteries, going back and, and watching the TV show Unsolved Mysteries, which is already an amazing show, um, but to me was sort of the totem for this project. It, it's a dramatization, but it's also like the real people are telling the stories and the concept was just thoroughly creepy. I remember as a kid watching that show and just being supremely creeped out and then 
trying to go to bed. How similar is this score to the music you normally produce? What makes it different than other podcast scores you've done? I think that uh, Radio Rental is still somewhat in my wheelhouse as far as the music I typically make. It gave me a chance to kind of explore a lot of the synthesis stuff that we've done at Tenderfoot for a while, but in less of a time-sensitive way. So like with Atlanta Monster or Zodiac, you know, it was definitely a certain era that we were trying to emulate sonically to tell the story. With this one, there's not really any era uh, that we had to be tied to. So the music itself could be as weird or abstract as we wanted it to be, and it could go in any direction. And I think that that made for a more interesting, a more interesting soundtrack because we could just, there, there were no constraints, which I really enjoyed. One of the cool things about working on podcast soundtracks with Tenderfoot is that no two stories are ever the same. So it's always an adventure as far as trying to figure out a tone for the project itself. And then that thing has so many different avenues it can go in. So it's like, it's always refreshing to get into something and try to try to write uh, music that narratively is gonna not push the story, but it's gonna help the story along with regards to, you know, whatever pain or, you know, in any case, whoever the, the driving force producer is um, trying to tell the story. How many tracks on the soundtrack are directly from the episodes? Do any of them differ significantly? In, this, in the case with Payne, every time he and I get together to work on something, I usually end up writing a mountain of music for him in the beginning. He gives me the concept and I just sort of run with it. And once I kind of figure out what that sound is for the show, I'll write just tons of tracks and send it to him. That's kind of, I think, useful to him because he can listen to that stuff and kind of get in the zone as far as, as he starts crafting the thing and putting it together. Most of the podcasts I've done with Tenderfoot have worked that way, where there's a lot of work up front, and then I'll score on a segment-by-segment basis. But in, in the case of Radio Rental, it was really trying to nail the voice. You know, I spent a lot of time in Atlanta kind of working with Payne in the office trying to, like, write, you know, what the, what the sound, what's the voice of the thing musically. Once we kind of landed in that area, I think everything else just came very naturally. So a lot of the tracks on the soundtrack came from that sort of initial batch of pieces that were written. Can you describe the workflow between you and Payne? One of the things I really like about working with Payne is that he and I have a similar wavelength as far as, like, we almost have a shorthand at this point. The way we, we work together, like he'll send me some stuff and he'll give me a couple notes and then I'll go to work I'll write stuff, send it back to him, and then, you know, we kind of just riff on that. He works really fast, and I work really fast, and I think because of that, like, we kind of push each other, it just works really well. When I came on to start writing music with Atlanta Monster, I was sort of like, podcasts are new to me, I don't really know what I'm doing, it's a different workflow for me than I'm used to doing. I've scored films and, and short films and stuff like that, but podcasting was so open-ended and the thing can change over time depending on the course of an investigation. In the case of Radio Rental, it's an anthology series, so it's a little different, but it's still within the same confines of the way that Payne and I have worked over the years. It's really just about him crafting something, sending it to me, and then I riff on it and send it back, and then we, we kind of have this sort of shared brain as far as like what the end result should be. What does Radio Rental mean to you? I always saw Radio Rental as like this uh, interesting sort of spin on 
the Ripley's Believe It or Not or like scary stories to tell in the dark. It's like the thing that you always gravitated towards as a kid. You know, maybe something you'd hear, uh, you know, around a campfire or something like that. What's been interesting about working on it is after it came out, I can't tell you how many people sent me messages that were like, I have to tell you the story of this thing that happened to me that I literally can't tell anybody because it's too crazy. I listened to this episode and it made me realize, like, I have to get this out. I think that's what the show is. It's kind of this sort of galvanizing process of, of getting it out there. And I think for some people, sometimes that's like enough of a push to be like, oh, yeah, I need to like sort of have this reckoning with this weird experience that I had. Did you grow up renting videos from a brick and mortar store? I'm totally a child of the 80s, and I grew up going to rent movies in the town I grew up in. There was a rental shop called Movie Mart that was not a chain. It was just like a local place, I think. I openly mourn for all of the generations now that will never experience walking into a video store and renting a video. I mean, there's just nothing like that. It's an interesting experience. I mean, now everything is, is accessible to everyone all of the time, which is an, in and of itself is not a bad thing, but there's just nothing like going in and picking it up and holding it in your hand and sort of looking at the box and, and you know being influenced by the total package of the thing is uh, something that's really lost nowadays. Can you describe the tone of the soundtrack? And how long did it take to solidify that sound? The tone of the soundtrack really is just creepiness. As a composer, I hate a strong word, but I really hate when music is sort of described in a real broad sense by a word that has no musical meaning. Saying something is just creepy or eerie doesn't really necessarily have any musical context. It was about sort of capturing what that vibe was. You know, when I first started writing music that was more horror themed, you know, a lot of places that I lived in when I would work on that stuff was the sort of the, the shots in films that were sort of in between what would be considered like the meat and potatoes of the, of the, the film itself. So like if I'm watching Halloween, you know, Michael Myers attacking people weren't the scenes that I sort of vibed off the most. The scenes that always got me were the scenes of the street and the leaves kind of blowing at night and, you know, maybe you might see them from a distance or something. Like those things were infinitely more useful to me as far as context for music. To me, the tone uh, for Radio Rental was really just about capturing that feeling and just running with it. Did you run into any challenges while recording this score? If so, how were they different from other Tenderfoot podcasts like Monster, Up and Vanished, Sworn, etc.? For this one, the, the real challenge just was just trying to figure out the tone in the beginning and, and making sure that that tone was unique enough from the other things we'd already done and supported the story. You know, everything obviously has to be pushing forward in terms of uh, doing something new and fresh. Obviously, you know, with the Monster series, uh, we, we tried really hard to make the music key into the era of time that it was taking place. You know, Atlanta Monster was a very specific time. Zodiac was a very specific time. You know, with Up and Vanished, season two, it was a very specific place that it took place, and all of the music came from the context of that place. I always try to figure out, okay, so what makes this different? And how do we elevate that musically? Scoring a podcast versus scoring a film, you know, a film is a very finite, sort of locked-in thing. By the time I see it, hopefully, uh, the edit is locked, 
pictures locked, I can go in and, and work with freedom, but I'm within the confines of what's in front of me visually. Podcasts are always evolving, always changing, right up until the last minute, until they literally publish the thing, things are changing. So um, there's a lot of there's a lot of gray area in there. There's a lot of room for me to sort of figure out what might sound different. I've had instances where I might score a segment and, you know, they pain or whoever decides that that's, that cue works better somewhere else. And so you kind of get a second crack at it. You figure out, you know, how to say it in a different way. Scoring podcasts is, is interesting to me because it does have a lot of freedom in that way. And so where can people find the original soundtrack for Radio Rental? The soundtrack for Radio Rental is the first part of a slate of releases that we're doing with Lakeshore Records. Currently, you can find it wherever music is streaming, Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, Pandora, Prime Music. It's basically everywhere online. We're excited. I'm excited to see a lot of the soundtracks for these podcasts uh, get formally released. And I can't think of a better place for that than Lakeshore Records. They have a a long tenure of releasing really great soundtracks. So we're excited to work with them and excited to see that stuff get out there. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this season of Radio Rental. Your support has been amazing. And don't worry, we're coming back with brand new episodes starting in March 2020. I know it seems like a long time, but it's only a couple months. In the meantime, if you or someone you know has their own Radio Rental story, we'd love to hear it. Submit your own story by emailing us at yourscarystory at gmail.com. That's yourscarystory at gmail.com. In the email, write out your story and include where you're from. Thanks again, guys, and I'll see you in March. Radio Rental is created by Payne Lindsay and brought to you by Tenderfoot TV in Atlanta. Executive producers Payne Lindsay and Donald Albright. Hosted by Rain Wilson as his character, Terry Carnation. Produced by Payne Lindsay, Mike Rooney, and me, Meredith Stedman. Written by Meredith Stedman with additional writing by Mark Laughlin. Sound design by Cooper Skinner. Original score by Makeup and Vanity Set. Additional production by Christina Dana and Mason Lindsay. Cover art by Trevor Eiler and Rob Sheridan. Voice acting by Ryan Jones, Casey Willis, and the Tenderfoot TV team. Shout out to Tiny Doors ATL for the creation of our real life miniature radio rental store. You can check that out and more on their Instagram at tinydoorsatl. Special thanks to Grace Royer and Oren Rosenbaum at UTA, as well as support from the Nord Group, Station 16, Beck Media and Marketing, and the team at Cadence 13. If you have a radio rental story that you'd like to share, please email us at yourscarystory at gmail.com or contact us via the form on our website, radiorentalusa.com. Follow us on Instagram at radiorental and on Twitter at Radio Rental USA. You can also follow the beloved Terry Carnation on social media. Just search at Terry Carnation. On behalf of the Radio Rental store, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review. And don't forget to share our show with a friend of the genre. Thanks for listening.